Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Thursday, January 14th. Weekly jobless claims are up, new job postings are down year over year, and we're focused on what comes next in the vaccine race. As all of you certainly know by now, America has become a two-vaccine nation, with healthcare workers, first responders, and seniors getting injected with products from either Pfizer or Moderna. And as you also probably know, those vaccines each require a double dose, are difficult to store, and there's simply not enough of either yet to go around, even if the rollout was being handled more efficiently. What's gotten less attention, though, is that plenty of other companies are continuing to work on new coronavirus vaccines. For example, Johnson Johnson, which last night released promising interim results and said its full phase three data is expected to come later in the month. Why it matters is that more developed and approved vaccines could mean an acceleration of vaccinations, pushing us toward that holy grail of herd immunity, particularly if there becomes some sort of future manufacturing problem or other problem with what's currently in the market. So we wanted to speak again with medicinal chemist and biotech blogger Derek Lowe to better understand the pipeline. So, Derek, let's start with this new interim data release from Johnson Johnson, which says that by the end of the month, it should be releasing its phase three trial data. Should we take this to mean that we could see J&J vaccines in people's arms in a little over a month from now? I wish that's what it suggested. But J&J at the same time has also said that they're a little behind on their manufacturing. So it means that we could have a third vaccine that's ready to approve, but when it gets into people's arms, might be a bit delayed. Not delayed by months, but delayed by weeks. How important is that in the sense of because J&J is this single-dose vaccine, and also just seeing the research they have released so far, I know some you know vaccine folks have been skeptical that a single dose will work. Yeah, it is interesting that they're trying that, but keep in mind they're also trying a two-dose protocol as well. So they are trying a booster you know, to back things up in case the single dose doesn't work out. And the results they release show that you do get higher antibody levels with the booster. But what we don't know is how high antibody levels need to be to protect you. It might be that the single dose is enough. Derek, you talked about, you know, manufacturing delays, slight manufacturing delays by J&J. When you look at what's happening with Pfizer and Moderna, the two vaccines that are currently in market, and obviously this change in national policy from keep a second dose in reserve to get everybody a first dose and the second ones will come, how confident are you that manufacturing is going to hold up for Pfizer and Moderna so we don't get in a situation where you have lots of people with one shot who can't get the second one in time? Yeah, that is the big question. And Pfizer and Moderna have a special manufacturing issue because their mRNA vaccines have some unusual lipid molecules that have to be part of the formulation. That's what keeps the RNA able to get through your bloodstream and into the cells. And these are sort of the bottlenecks. You can make a lot of RNA, but these lipids are sort of one-off compounds. Do you think the policy change is a wise one? I really don't like it, but I don't like the alternatives even more. With the new, more infectious variants of the coronavirus spreading, I I think we kind of have to do this. Um, as I say, it's two nasty options, and this is the less nasty. Let's talk about one of these other companies, which is AstraZeneca. AstraZeneca vaccine is being distributed and used in the UK. It was partially funded by Operation Warp Speed in the US. 
But not only is it not being distributed here yet, they have not yet applied for FDA approval. How are we to understand them not even putting the paperwork in yet? They're waiting for their trial in the U.S. to read out, which should be soon. It was delayed because they had some adverse events that the FDA told them to go slow on. So they're waiting for their U.S. data to come through. And a lot of people are interested in seeing that because you remember the AZ vaccine had some uh, controversy over how efficacious it was. And the statistics are a mess. I got to say, I'm really disappointed in how Oxford and AstraZeneca have handled both the trial and the disclosure of the data. Are you surprised that British health authorities gave them the go ahead? (sighs) I guess not because they need something to go with. And for all I know, they're taking sort of a patriotic, here's our British vaccine for the British people. Injecting politics into these things is never going to really be helpful, though. But they do need something. And of course, it does have efficacy. It's just that they're, from the look of it, probably other vaccines that have more. Let's talk about other vaccines. And this might not be one of the ones you think have more, but there is also a vaccine being distributed in China right now not from any of the four companies we've talked about before. What, if anything, do we know about it? And based on data you've been able to see, do you trust the data you've been able to see? Ah, Yeah, that's the question. There are several vaccines in China, uh, Sinovac, CanSino, others. It's really hard to evaluate them because some of these have published earlier data, animal studies and phase one data in the medical literature, but we have not seen any real solid human efficacy data in an open fashion for many of them. So it's impossible to say. And one of them, the um, Sinovac vaccine, that one had initially reported like up around 80% efficacy, but the trial that just finished in Brazil now says 50%. So I, I don't know what to think. It's not a good situation. Is there anything else we haven't talked about that you've seen in the pipeline that you view as particularly promising? There is another candidate out there from a company in the U.S. called Novavax, and that one has the potential to be stored at room temperature and be much easier to distribute. That is going to come along. They are in humans now. They're working through their trial. We're going to hear from that one a little bit later on, maybe on in February, I hope. I'm quite optimistic about that as well. So that could be a fourth candidate here in the U.S., and I'm not even counting AZ Oxford. Why are you particularly optimistic about that one? Because there are obviously others that are in labs right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this one is after J&J. It's the most advanced in clinical trials. And it's a different platform than the others. It uses just a, a straight virus protein and an adjuvant, sort of a more classic vaccine. But those can work quite well. And the other thing is the distribution and manufacture of it should be less tricky than for, say, the mRNA vaccines. Is there kind of an ideal number of vaccines or does there become a point kind of where additional ones become redundant if they don't significantly improve on either duration or efficacy? Yeah, it comes down to how many people you can get vaccinated. And that comes also down to how easy it is to manufacture and distribute, which is why I mentioned Novavax. J&J might also be a little easier than the mRNA ones. So we've never had a situation where we have all these numbers of vaccines all coming out roughly the same time for a new pathogen. So we're in unique territory. But at the moment, I would say the more the merrier because there are different manufacturing processes, different plants putting these things out. The more effective vaccines you can get out there and into people, the better. So come one, come all. 
Derek, final question for you. New York City today became the latest uh, locality to talk about finding cases of the COVID-19 variant. I think they've announced they've found two cases there in the city. I know that Moderna and Pfizer have talked about this a bit. How confident are you that the current vaccines will indeed be able to be as efficacious against the variant in general, that the vaccine developers are going to move fast enough or faster than the mutations? It's a good question. The data I've seen so far indicate that the current vaccines, the antibodies that they raise in patients, will indeed be able to protect against these variants. So, so far, so good on that. Everything is pointing in that direction. At the same time, the virus is always mutating. And that's another reason why we need to get this pandemic knocked down as quickly as possible. The longer we wait, the better the chance we have of the virus stumbling onto something that does evade our current vaccines. However, the mRNA ones, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, should be able to change pretty rapidly. And the hope is that they would be able to do that kind of the way we do a different flu vaccine every year. You don't have to go back and run the whole clinical trial again. You just have to do a quick check and say, okay, here's, here's version 2.0. Derek Lowe, whose blog in the pipeline, you can find at sciencemag.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to. Welcome back. What we're watching today is social media's self-described crackdown on violent political rhetoric. Three new developments. First, encrypted chat app Telegram has removed dozens of public channels over the past 48 hours, including ones that TechCrunch reports were promoting white supremacy and Nazi iconography. Two, Snapchat last night permanently banned President Trump's account, officially for breaking its terms of service. Axios Media reporter Sarah Fisher reports that a Snapchat source told her that Trump's account had attempted to violate its policies dozens of times, but that Snapchat had removed that content before it gained much visibility and Snapchat had sent warnings to Trump's team. Three, there's a must-read Washington Post report out about the key role Facebook's platform played in helping insurrectionists share information ahead of last week's attack on the Capitol. Nonetheless, Facebook remains in app stores, while Parler remains banished. Today, we're also watching the Federal Aviation Administration, which says it will hand down harsher punishments to unruly airline passengers, including fines and bans, driven in part by constant and increasing confrontations over mask wearing. And finally, we are watching new data on venture capital investment, which hit record levels in 2020. That's right, despite the pandemic, U.S. startups raised more funding last year than in any other year, ever, including the prior record holder of 2000, which was the height of the dot-com boom. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven. Have a great national hot pastrami sandwich day. And we'll be back next Tuesday with another Axios recap.